everyone. Welcome to the Divorcing Religion Podcast. I'm your host, Janice Selby, Registered Professional Counselor and Religious Recovery Consultant. Today's guest is skeptic, magician, and snake breeder, Matt Dillahunty. Matt was raised Southern Baptist and even considered becoming a minister. He eventually lost all belief in the tenets of Christianity and became an atheist. In addition to being a well-known speaker and debater, Matt has hosted and co-hosted numerous popular shows on atheism, including Nonprofits Radio and The Atheist Experience, and he currently hosts the fabulously popular show The Hangup on YouTube. Welcome, Matt. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I just, uh, I'm so excited. I just got to get it all out right now. I'm really tickled that uh, that you would join me here because uh, my podcast is fairly new. Uh, and the slant that I'm taking on things is talking about religious trauma. And I find that people who grew up in fundamentalist religious homes uh, tend to have some trauma themselves. Can you talk to us a little bit about your background? Yeah, I don't know. I, it's been my my path out was not traumatic and looking back on my upbringing i'm sure there is religious trauma but after having spent so many years talking to people who suffered serious trauma mm -hmm. i i think i had an easy start to finish mm -hmm. um i my parents were um when they first married my dad was a southern baptist and my mom was in a family of catholics but nobody really paid any attention okay and my uncle was a, a medical missionary who went and, uh, over to Thailand and, and did some work there. And he ended up convincing my mom um, that Catholicism was a cult oh, wow. <laughs> that was not biblical. Right. And uh, she didn't know anything about it anyway. And she became a Christian and immediately jumped in fundamentalism. There's a home movie of her buying everybody in her family a Bible uh, for Christmas one year. Um, and a real so Bible, not the Catholic yeah. Bible. Yeah. Right. Right. Oh they gosh. needed, they needed to get, you know, I'm pretty sure they were all like the living Bible, which was an easy oh, to read yes. version in the seventies. Yeah. Um, but they, uh, I, I have, I have that footage of them handing it out, but I was raised primarily in Southern Baptist churches. There were a couple of exceptions. Like I, I talked about how I used to go to Pentecostal churches for the concerts back when Carmen and Petra. And oh, I remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, yeah, it was primarily Southern Baptist. We moved every few years because of my dad's job. And I remember the process of going to visit a handful of churches wherever our new house was until my parents uh, were led by God as to which church to join, which in hindsight was really the one my mom said we needed to be in okay. was the one we went to. <laughs> Oh gosh, this does sound awfully familiar. Um, and so did they typically stay kind of in the Baptist um, way of things? Or did you end up in any uh, more evangelical kind of Pentecostal churches? No, I usually, that was only interacting with my friends and going to concerts and stuff. My folks were Baptist. My mom probably considers herself a Pentecostal now. Mm -hmm. um, I remember her saying so about 15 years ago. It was, it was after I became an atheist and they, um, and she doesn't go to church. She hasn't left the house really in a gazillion years. Mm -hmm. uh, so she listens to preachers online. And no. so it's a lot more independent. And um, I, I don't know, I don't know what language is or isn't preferred here. Um, I don't want to be disparaging of anybody, but it's kookier stuff. 
Mm-hmm. I, I think my mom may be convinced that the earth is flat. She gets her <sighs> medical advice from, you know, like online versions of the 700 club. So it's oh, always, dear. oh, I saw this thing here. You should try this. And I can't count the number of crappy pseudoscientific woo peddling or woo mm-hmm. remedies she sent me over. The, oh, you need St. John's wort. You need, oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh my gosh. What? Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks. Why don't you just buy me soap? Keep buying me soap <laughs> and Q-tips and we'll be fine. You should buy those in bulk. Oh, boy. Yes. And I mean, that that magical thinking from religion is so easily transferable to conspiracy uh, theories and homeopathy um, nonsense. It's just we we can be primed for it because we do want uh, the easy way and we do want to believe we have the answer. We're special. So, so did you believe um, fully when you were growing up, say when you were a teen, that the Bible was um, literal and true? Yeah, I was. I, I, it's a difficult thing to answer because memory is so malleable. Yeah, and uh, I have to recognize that you know, my mom remembers some things differently from the way I do, mm-hmm. um, and. I was one of the most active in our family going to church. I even when my folks, my folks would go Sunday mornings mm-hmm. and that was about it. A little bit more on occasion. My dad worked a lot. Actually, he traveled back and forth between Kansas City and St. Louis for years. Mm-hmm. And I would go as a teenager, uh, especially once I had friends in the church. And even though I went to a high school with 900 plus kids, uh, most of my friends were from the church group. I was active mm-hmm. in that youth group. Mm-hmm. And by the time I was 16 and driving around, I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Monday night visitation, Wednesday night service. I think Thursday nights were youth group. And then some Friday and Saturday nights, that's when you'd have, you know, the lock-ins of the mission trips or go out and work right. to churches. Um, uh, that was my life. But it, I have to admit, it was a lot about being with my friends. Sure. It's not like I was interacting, you know, except for, except for visitation on Monday nights where we would go out and visit the people who stopped at the church. I didn't spend all that much time kind of like witnessing or sharing my faith. I was kind of just surrounded by a bunch of kids who were all in a cycle. And the the cycle in the youth group was um, you'd get, you, you would become slightly more secular uh, for a little bit and you'd be interested in a different kind of music. And maybe you were going a little further on dates than mm-hmm. you had before. <laughs> and then they would have a big, you know, youth thing. And convince everybody that you're just terrible and you're never going to live. So then you rededicate your life to Jesus and you do this cycle over and over again mm-hmm. where you're constantly, oh, I'm back. I'm, please forgive me, God. I'm back falling. I haven't been living up to your standards. And then you get, you know, rededicate again and start over. And I did that um, all the way up until I, I left for the Navy at 18, right after I graduated high school. And, and so when you left for the Navy, uh, you were still thinking that this was most likely true. This was the truest thing that you'd been exposed to, or how were you starting to doubt at that point? I know there were, it wasn't any, any any doubt till I was almost, well, till I was probably 30. Um, Oh, wow. My, I mean, I'm sure there were doubts, but Mm -hmm. it's like when I'd raise questions, it's so authoritarian that my uncle, who was the medical missionary, was the most spiritually wise person in the family. And mm-hmm. so when I had questions that mom or dad or a pastor couldn't answer, they would send me to him. And that continued. Well, it continues kind of up to this day, um, although they don't direct me to him anymore. He occasionally will call me or send me a book or mm-hmm. uh, he's the one who kind of outed me. Oh, and, 
<laughs> it was it, well, well we'll get to that at some sure. point but my I, I i believed but i'm not sure it's very difficult for me to figure out which parts i believed most sincerely like when he, i was a fan of science and so i understood just the basics of evolution and i think my parents view was not very uh, well informed and so i don't think they pushed back on on this creationism versus evolution to them god created everything how he did it didn't matter sure. if things evolved it didn't matter it was just like and i found out recently i didn't know this until just a few years ago my mom uh, reads her bible all the time spends all all of her free time crocheting and doing bible studies and everything else knows absolutely nothing about the old testament oh you're kidding just I, completely new testament 50 some odd years as a dedicated fundamentalist christian does not pay any attention just dismisses the old testament when wow. i when we got into arguments later and i brought stuff wow. up she's like yeah but that's the old testament jesus like, fulfilled what do you think the old testament is yeah. Uh, but yeah i i it's hard for me to pin down what i did and didn't believe i definitely mm -hmm. believed um that God existed, that Jesus was God incarnate mm -hmm. and part of the the uh, triune um, or the, the Trinitarian view, which made no sense to me ever. Uh, and yet it's one of those things where it's like, when when I push back on it with pastors saying, I don't understand this, they're like, you're not meant to. You'll, you'll understand it when you get to heaven. <laughs> God will explain right. it to you when you get to heaven. Oh, God's ways are higher than our ways, Matt. That's right. <laughs> those answers just don't cut it anymore. But uh, at the time, yeah, I mean, that's part of what kept me believing for so long. And, and as also, well. they encouraged, they, they, they made it feel like it was okay to ask questions, but not okay to question the answers that you got from those questions. Yes, that's right. So it's like, yes, we encourage, please, if you have doubts, if you have insecurities, please come up and talk to Brother John this weekend. He will set a time, time for you. And when you go in and you say, hey, I don't understand why infants get cancer mm -hmm. and they'll give you an answer and no matter how good or how bad it is the expectation is that that's where the conversation ends there's no debate no discussion uh, no evidence presented ever no, it's just no. here i am and yeah. by the way i'm only telling you my understanding i'm a, i'm a flawed human being just like you are matt we'll all find out when we get to heaven and i asked one of them one time how do you know that where in the Bible does it say God's ever going to tell you anything or answer any of your questions? I didn't, I didn't read that anywhere. Mm -hmm. What, what makes you think you're going to understand him? Well, we just trust that God's good and he'll, he'll tell us what we need to know when we need to know it. Wow. I got so tired of that, but I kept believing because the, the option to stop believing didn't even really enter my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, everybody believed and anybody who didn't was just somebody that we were, needed to reach out to. That's right. Mm -hmm. So then what, at, at what point uh, did the, the options and the doubts kind of really start um, creeping, you in, creeping in? Yeah, I was in the Navy for eight and a half years, and that exposed me to some people who didn't believe the same things I did, but That's I was still right. a Christian. Mm -hmm. I just, I didn't really care about it that much. Okay. And so even on my dog tags in the early years, it said Baptist. Uh, the last couple of years, it said no religious preference. I still believed. I just wasn't involved. Like I wasn't going to church. Right. Um, I was living just pretty much a, a normal secular life. And I wasn't sure what I believed anymore. But when I got out of the Navy, I went to work and moved to Austin and I went to work in the tech industry and I focused on my job and I focused on living my life. And, and I went out and, you know, I went to strip clubs and hung out with my friends and all that stuff. 
Um, and then in around 2000 or so, I lost my job and I actually lost it because I did it too well. Oh, I, no. I got a lot of projects done early and that's when they decide they need to cut headcount. So they brought me in and they're like, we really love what you've done, but we don't have any work for you for the next six months. We have to cut headcount. And that means that your job's the one that's expendable. Wow. And they just gave me a severance package and let me go. Mm. And after four years of working at Dell and uh, I went home and I thought, you know, I've been raised, if you have a good work ethic, mm -hmm. uh, if you're loyal, that's how you keep a job. And I should have mm -hmm. known that was BS from the beginning because my dad worked for the airline and we moved every five years in order for him to keep his job. And he lost his, you know, he lost his retirement two or three times oh. and he, TWA went bankrupt and then wow. uh, American went bankrupt or, or US Air mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I should have known that was the case, mm -hmm. but it really hit me hard. And I went home and they, they gave me a severance package where I didn't have to work. I didn't work for over a year. And I thought that God was punishing me. I thought mm -hmm. that God had said, I thought that God, when I was a teenager, had wanted me to be a preacher. Mm -hmm. And I was scared of that. I was terrified of public speaking. I was scared of, scared of being a preacher. There probably were doubts in my head back then that were like, uh, you can't go down that path. It'll expose that, you know, things that you know, but have suppressed. Or type right, of understanding. right. And, uh, and ironically, of course, I, as I mentioned, I was afraid of public speaking. And, <laughs> That's and hard so to I, imagine now. It is because I don't <laughs> shut up now. But um, I thought that God was punishing me. And he's like, oh, you want to run around and do all this stuff and you want to focus on your career when I told you to be a preacher? Well, I'm going to take it all away. And that's the mentality that had been implanted in me in a large, large part because my mom, that if something bad was happening in your life, um, sometimes that might have been, you know, the devil coming after you because you were doing good. But if you knew you weren't really doing that much good, that was God uh, stepping up to say, no, you better listen and you better do what I told you to do. Mm -hmm. And so I decided after that job loss that, okay, God, I give up. Um, you wanted me to be a minister. You want me to be a preacher. I said no and ran off and did my own thing. You let me have fun for a while and then you took it all away. Mm -hmm. And so now I will do that. And I spent a year and a half, pretty much, mm -hmm. uh, in my house. I don't, don't get me wrong. I wasn't doing nothing but Bible study. I was playing right. video games and other <laughs> stuff too, sure. but, but I spent a year and a half in serious prayer and study. And mm -hmm. every time I would run across something, um, from an atheist, you know, or, or somebody, my roommate at the time was an atheist Oh, and he didn't care about it. It didn't impact our friendship and he didn't have any real thoughts or input, but I was like, if I'm going to be serious about this, I need to figure out how to convince an atheist. Mm. <laughs> and that backfired spectacular. Oh boy. So was that your um, relationship with your atheist roommate? Was that one of the stepping stones then to you um, recognizing that Christianity was not true? Yeah. And the funny thing is he didn't really have anything to do with it. I mean, I'm, I'm still going to give him credit and we're still friends and everything else, but we never had a conversation. Mm -hmm. It was all me privately preparing to have the conversation where I kept coming up. I was like, what kind of things are, are atheists going to say? And the more I looked into it, the more difficult it was to come up with any sort of response to stuff. Mm -hmm. And I even, I even went to my uncle as I had done many times 
and I was like, you know, hey, I've got my room. This roommate's an atheist. And I really want to, um, you know, I don't want to get to heaven and have God say, hey, here's a guy who you lived with, who you love like a brother. Uh, and he's burning in hell now because you didn't mm-hmm. do what you were supposed to do. <laughs> and my uncle was like, well, ask him where he gets his morals from, because without God, there's no such thing as objective morality. Oh, boy. And I knew nothing about anything at that time. Right. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. And I left and I went and studied. And the nice thing is I didn't go to my roommate and, and ask him that question. I was like, okay, what sort of answers could he potentially give? Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time studying this and it all crumbled. And I realized what an absolutely ridiculous uh, and weak, terribly weak argument that is. Mm-hmm. It, if you study this stuff at all. And so here was the guy who was the most spiritually wise person in our family, mm-hmm. who everybody looked up to. And when he finally, he was also one that, you know, found out that I was out after I was doing the show. And I, I kid you not, he called and, and challenged me on it. And all he had was Pascal's wager. And I was Aww. like, I always looked up to you as, as the smart one, as the wise one, as the college educated one, as the one that, you know, understood theology. And he's a medical doctor. Oh, uh, he's wow. retired now. Mm-hmm. And it, it was, you know, no offense to him. I mean, it, I had put him up, my mom had put him up on a pedestal is what happened. And I went along with it. And then I realized, oh, he doesn't know any more about this stuff than I did. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know any more about this stuff than than mom and dad do. They just all bought into it and believed Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So they have their feelings about it. They feel like it's true. Wow. Wow. So by then, were you, um, you were around 30? That you were had that that you were recognizing. Oh no, this actually doesn't hold any water. <laughs> yeah, around then, I, I remember one day my roommate and I we worked at the same place at this time, and so we would carpool to work. And out of the blue, one day on the drive home, I said, uh, "I said, hey man, I I think I might be kind of agnostic." And he goes, "Oh, cool." And we just kept driving and never really talked about it again. And it was like a week after I was like. No, 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 that's not the right word. I'm an atheist. And he's like, cool. And that was it. I mean, you know, after I got involved with, you know, atheist experience and other things like that, he was, you know, supportive. But he's one of the atheists that's actually just off living his life. He he does, um, you know, fitness competition stuff and charity stuff. And he he works his job and he's he's got a wife and stepdaughter. And, you know, is that's where his thing is it's one of those there's he he was never so like i say i'm doing penance even though penance is a catholic <laughs> thing and not a, not a baptist thing right and that i spent so much time in it trying to convince people that jesus was god mm-hmm. that now i feel like i owe it to myself and everybody else to to kind of counter that and he doesn't he's actually living his life which is great enjoying um, it and, no, and no. was he raised religious uh, as well um uh, not really, but yeah. I, I, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I don't know all the details okay. on his thing. And it's mm-hmm. partly because we didn't have a lot of conversations about it. Yeah. It was, you know, however you were raised, he kind of just was, yeah, I don't think I believe this. Mm-hmm. And then went on with his life and did it younger. I'm yeah. always impressed when I, when I go speak somewhere and like some 11 year old comes up to me and, and is like, ah, uh, my folks have been letting me explore religious stuff and, you know, thanks to some of the stuff you've done and everything else, I, I think I'm pretty much an atheist now. And <laughs> That's I'm like, amazing. 
you know, I'm, well. not, I'm not I'm not claiming I'm the, the sharpest knife in the drawer, but it took me forever uh, to get out of there. And now I feel like I'm not even the sharpest spoon in the drawer. And these 11 year olds are coming up and they're like, oh, yeah, this is all BS. I got it. It's I got amazing. it figured out. Let me get on. Hi, everyone. I hope you're enjoying my interview with Matt Dillahunty. Just a quick reminder to subscribe to the Conference on Religious Trauma YouTube channel so that you never miss an episode of the Divorcing Religion podcast. And I also invite you to support me on Patreon. Now, back to Matt. When I when I get to interact with um, folks who were raised completely without any uh, religion and they are atheists, like my good friend um, Courtney Hurd, who's the godless mom, it is so refreshing and amazing for me to spend time with people like that because they do not have the religious baggage. Mm -hmm. They just don't. I mean, they have other baggage, but it's it's just, it's really amazing. So, all right, for all the 11 and 10-year-olds and the kids out there who are figuring this stuff out, that's amazing. So then, what did you do once you made that discovery about yourself? Did you feel like, oh, I have to tell my family or be like, well, I'm not going to tell my family. I I started working. Um, I wanted to study it more. I wanted to be better. I wanted to find a way to explain it to my folks. And mm-hmm. in particular, I started outlining a book that turned out to be, and I never finished, I never finished any book, still haven't, uh, but it was basically going to be, I want to explain this to everybody in a way that my parents would understand. Yes. And that was, that was the book I started working on and people uh, at work knew that I was interested in this stuff. I started writing for some online Mm e-magazines where there were like miniature debates going on. Yeah. Um, There was a place called uselessknowledge.com and there was (laughs) somebody on there who went under the name of uh, Skiptimaloo, who would pick out a passage in the Bible and post a little sermon about it. And whenever that person did that, I would then reply to those with the exact same passage and show how that could be interpreted in a completely different way. And sometimes the exact opposite way. Oh, wow. Um, or just to show that, you know, this is a, there's a reason why there's over a thousand denominations that all point to the Bible and use different <laughs> names and reach different conclusions. Yes. And so yeah. I was writing for that. And some people at work had seen the atheist experience on public access TV here in Austin. And they knew that I was into that stuff. Uh And so they came to me and they're like, oh, you should watch this. And I blew them off. I was like, why would I watch a bunch of atheists? I don't want to talk to atheists. I want to talk to Christians. (laughs) Uh, I want to talk to theists. I want to, you know, I'm already an atheist. Mm -hmm. You know, and they're like, no, 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 this is a call-in show where they take calls from, from them. And I'm like, I, I still wasn't even registering with me. Didn't even, it was like, no, no, no. I want to, you know, cause it didn't occur to me that I would ever be on the show. Right. It's like, why would I sit around and watch this? <laughs> wow. <laughs> and uh, by coincidence, Jeff D lived in the same apartment complex that I did. He was one of the hosts on the atheist experience at the time. And he put up a flyer at the mailbox that was basically Tune in and watch the atheist experience Sundays. Ah, and I, I happened it. to see that flyer <laughs> on Sunday, just about an hour before they went live. I went out to check the mail, saw the flyer, and I was like, "Wow, oh, I got time. Let me tune in and see what's going on." And uh, I tuned in, and it was uh, Ashley and Jeff D. Ashley Perrion, um, both of whom I'm still in touch with. 
Nice. And they invited me to the after. I called in because I disagreed with something Jeff said. Um, I think it was about religion and, and public school or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I called in to, to kind of push back on something. We talked for a little bit and they're like, you should come to the after show dinner. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> I went to the after show dinner. The next week I was there in the studio volunteering behind the scenes to screen calls and do wow. graphics and other stuff. And uh, I was g- going to meetings and a couple months later, Jeff D did not show up for his scheduled show. Mm-hmm. He just forgot it was his week. Mm-hmm. And I happened to be standing there and actually, I'd just written an article on the the Ten Commandments cases in Texas where mm-hmm. Justice Breyer essentially invented a grandfather clause out of whole cloth. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, you know, well, Jeff's not going to make it, I guess. You want to go on the show? And I was like, sure. And uh, I went on the show. Uh, I loved it. I went home and my roommate was like, how'd the show go today? And I was like, I was on it. And he goes, really? <laughs> and uh, I remember looking at him saying, yeah, that's going to be my show in six months. Oh, really? Uh, wow. And I didn't mean it in this. It's never been my show. It will never, I, well, I'm not there anymore anyway, mm-hmm. but it's never been my show. It's been a group effort. But what I meant and what he understood was that I'm going to be on that show as a regular. That That yes. is my thing. This yes. is what I need to do. Wow. And here we are 17 and a half years later, and I, I just left the show. So. <laughs> That's amazing. That really is something. So you um, did you find that the public speaking fear had pretty much just dissolved or disappeared? No. Um, doing the TV show was pretty easy because in the early days, uh, there wasn't an, even really an audience there live in the studio watching it. It was it'd be me and Ashley sitting there with three camera people running the three cameras pointing at us and we were alone in a room. Mm. And so it was, it was just like having somebody film you while you're making phone calls. Mm. That doesn't register in my head, the same as public speaking. When I, when I became um, the first president of the atheist community of Austin, um, that came with a lot of duties, including I had to, I remember I had to go to the Capitol and Mm. read a press release from the ACA uh, and I was a nervous wreck standing up there. Oh. It was like six or eight, just six or eight reporters showed up and maybe five other people. And I'm standing on the steps of the Capitol reading an important press release that we we had. And I was I was nervous. And then I gave a couple of lectures uh, to the group because we had our monthly lecture series. And I did a couple of those. And all of a sudden I realized um, it didn't take long. But I realized that if you if you're if you're being yourself, if you're being honest, if you're not trying to BS anybody, mm-hmm. public speaking is really easy because you can't control whether or not people end up liking you afterwards. You could be the nicest person or the meanest person, and there's still people that are going to absolutely love you and absolutely despise you. And I was more interested in: Am I being as good of a representative? or the arguments and objections as I can be. Am I providing information that might help some people? Mm -hmm. And I'm never going to make everybody happy. And so, and if somebody else wants to do it, you know, has a different way of doing it. If it's, if it's better, it's better, but uh, yeah, it it just got to the point. I mean, I'd been a magician since I was a kid, so I had performed in front of people, but it was, I was always nervous. And now the only time I'm nervous at all in front of a crowd is if I'm doing a magic show and I'm introducing a trick for the first time. 
because that's when that's when it's almost certainly going to go wrong. Oh no! Do you still do that? Prepared for? Do you still do magic? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I before COVID, I toured, uh, did a ten city tour in Canada with my Magic and Skepticism show, which is basically a lecture that teaches principles of skepticism through a magic show. And then, so I did ten cities across Canada. Then I did ten across the U.S. And we were getting ready to go to Europe, and then uh, COVID basically oh. uh, mm-hmm. locked me in the house for a couple of years. Did you make it to British Columbia? Oh, many times. I've <laughs> I've done I've done both. Um, in in uh, well, I've been to Vancouver probably six or seven times. I did events there with Dawkins. I did a magic show there with Sean Farquhar and Mary wow. Hatfield and James Randi. Um, oh, I did an event there with Tracy Harris and Sarah Hader. Um, How cool! I was there at the Chan Center um, about four different times, including uh, I was in the big theater uh, doing an event. And Jordan Peterson, who had just come to prominence with his BS, <laughs> was in the small room off to the side and his dressing room was over behind me. And somebody was like, hey, you know who's over there? And I was like, who's that? And they said, Jordan Peterson. And I was like, who's that? Yeah. And so they told me what was going on. And I was like, oh, yeah, I think I heard something about that. So it was funny, but yeah, I love, I love BC. Uh, oh, Chancellor is great. And nice. uh, yeah, I did a show out I did a couple in Vancouver, a couple of Victoria Island. Cool. Right on. Well, well, how did it go then? Uh, when, how did your family find out? You mentioned earlier that your me- mission, medical missionary uncle kind of outed you. Yeah. I was, um, I, w- I had started doing the atheist experience. And I, I don't know if I was the regular host yet or not. I may have just still been a co-host. I think I was the regular host by the time this happened. And I was working on, you know, covertly. I'm on TV every Sunday with my real name, talking about all this stuff and taking live calls. And my parents had no clue. This was in the early days of the internet. There wasn't anybody really using it to, to, to well, not that's not true my parents weren't using it to find anything out. And sure. now there's so much of everything. It's, it's unlikely you're going to stumble across somebody, you know, <laughs> that's uh, true. So you may be safer now, but my uncle, I was at work one day and my phone rang and it was my uncle. And he said, I was Googling my own name last night and I came across something interesting. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, <laughs> and he's, that's when he's like, yeah, so you're, you're an atheist now. And I was like, yeah, we had a little conversation and I was a nervous wreck because this was all these years of building it up. I figured this was going to be my biggest test. I'd been, Mm. I'd been having debates live on, on TV show for a while, Mm -hmm. but this was it. This was the spiritually wise leader of the family, you know, and I kid you not, he had nothing more than Pascal's wager. Mm -hmm. And then he was like, well, I think you should tell your folks. And I was like, well, I think I'm a grown up." And he's like, I think I'm going to have to tell your dad if you don't. And I'm, I'm sitting there going, are you, are you saying that you're going to tattle on your 30 year old nephew? <laughs> yes. uh, which mm. wasn't his mindset at all. Of course he he's looking at it. Like this is something that your parents need to know. Uh, it didn't matter to them that I'm a grown up. I'm still a little kid. Uh, I'll be, I'll be a little kid for my mom. And, and yes, she's dead. yes. Mm-hmm. but uh it's uh, except when it's convenient to identify that I'm actually, you know, 53 <laughs> and responsible. Right. Then all of a sudden I'm not a little kid anymore. <laughs> That's right. Oh gosh. But, uh, 
Yeah, we had a, we had a talk on the phone, and then he was like, "Well, I think you need to tell your parents." Um, I called my dad, and I uh, told him what had happened, and my dad uh, said okay and hung up. Oh, and it was because I I just completely fried his noodle. Like mm-hmm. he didn't even really. He went to out. First thing he did was Google what is a what does atheist mean? What's an atheist? Oh wow, okay, and then. Uh, he and mom, I don't know what all they did because I heard about some of it secondhand and I heard about it from them and, and how accurate it is and how much they've included. I don't know, but they went to go see Lee Strobel. Oh, who (laughs) the case for the Messiah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They went to him and they said, Hey, our son's an atheist. What should we do about that? And of course, Lee sold them several of his books. Yes. Uh, I met Lee many years later. Uh, Lee doesn't debate. And so there was no way he and I were ever going to debate, but I met him. And I told him the story and and what he did uh, because I got those books for Christmas and I told mom, I was like, look, mom, if you want to get me books from apologists, ask me whether or not I've already had them because I've already oh. written rebuttals to these two and right. I already have that one. Okay. So they could have so, saved their money. Yeah. Um, and so I, I got in Lee's face just a little bit, politely, but a little bit saying, the next time some parents come to you and tell you that their kid's atheist, instead of selling them your books and sending them off ill-equipped, why don't you tell them that the best thing they can do is talk to their child? That's wonderful. I don't Solid care advice. how old they are. Mm-hmm. It's far better for them to talk to their kid than it is to come talk to you, Lee. Mm-hmm. And it's far better for them to, I don't know, even if they were, even if they were correct and all this were real, it's far better for them to work this out with God than with you selling them books, mm-hmm. uh, embarrassingly mm-hmm. bad books, by the way. <laughs> so you didn't have a hard time uh, rebutting the the presentations that he made in his uh, books. No, no, it was um, it's pretty straightforward because Lee pretends to be a skeptic when he mm-hmm. throws out softball questions that he already knows the answer to. Mm-hmm. He runs around asking these people, you know questions as if he's a skeptic, as if he's asking them difficult questions. Mm-hmm. But there's no pushback. There's no request for evidence. There's nothing. It's like, I have this question. My, I got a, a friendly acquaintance I've had on the show, not for years, but in the past, Guy P. Harrison wrote a book that I recommend a lot, which is 50 Reasons People Give for Believing in a God. Okay. And, and Guy does what Lee Strobel pretended to do, only Guy did it pretty well correctly, mm-hmm. which is let me ask these questions and find out what people are actually saying. Instead, Lee goes and interviews his, interviews only the people who have the answers he's looking for. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's not like he went and interviewed atheists. It's not like he went and interviewed um, atheist philosophers for these things. Largely, yeah. um, I think there were I think there were some included, but it was about the questions and the ones that would have answers that would be like, well, you know religions, whether they're true or not, can provide a framework and a structure for people. And so there's these benefits. So he'll use that answer to prop up the benefits and then use the other answers from the, from the believers. It was, it was just really bad. I wanted to debate Lee, um, but he doesn't debate. He was not going to have any of it. That's right. Well, so then uh, your dad knew because you made a phone call and then they, your folks were so concerned. They went and bought all these books. Um, have you ever had a discussion with your folks about it since then, or do you guys oh, yeah. just kind of avoid it? No, it's been a, it's been a weird thing. So my dad kind of had a, he took it hard because yeah. he's the spiritual leader and he felt like he failed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, my mom, I've said it before, so I'll just say it. My mom, I, I don't find to be particularly well grounded in reality mm-hmm. sometimes. Mm-hmm. And she played it up like she was ecstatic that this was answered prayer. And her reason for saying this was answered prayer is, is she said, I've been asking God, what's wrong with my son? What's wrong with my son? What's wrong with my son for years? And today he told me that it, what it was, it's you're an atheist. And so that's what, that's what I've been seeing that was wrong with you. Because they were, they, they respun some stuff because I walked down the aisle at the age of five at a, at a revival mm-hmm. at Gashland Baptist <laughs> Church in Kansas City, Missouri, uh, with Brother Moody there. And accepted Jesus into my heart. Right. And according to them, they went and talked to Brother Moody after this and said, you know, is this possible? Is it possible that a five-year-old could actually have a sincere, you know, conversion, understanding, et cetera? And Brother Moody's like, you just have to wait and see. God's the only one that knows, but you have to nurture it. So it was a, it was a great answer mm-hmm. um, that would be correct in almost every circumstance anyway. You got you, you want to find out what the answer is. You got to wait and see. You got to get more of it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But Evidently, my mom's been wondering what's wrong with me my entire life. And um, when she found I was an atheist, that did it. And we didn't talk about it much for a while. Um, and then one time, my mom wrote me a letter, an email, a long one, mm-hmm. that was just titled From a Mother's Love. Oh, I haven't boy. looked at that in a gazillion years. Yeah. Uh, I should I should look in my email and see if I can mm-hmm. find that right now while I'm talking about it. <laughs> but it was this big... Uh, is this big long thing of you know your mom wouldn't lie to you? Um, God's real, Jesus is real. I know this. Uh, you know, I, I I had the same you know concerns, and Jesus is real. And I remember saying, um, I re- I started writing back uh, a response, and I just went all in. I it was I pretended as if. Um, she were just a random person emailing me, you know, somebody, some fan of the show or whatever sure. else. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's BS. And that's BS. And that's right. And there's all this. And that's just terrible. And this is stupid. And this is immoral. And bang, 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 bang. And when I got to the end, because I sat there for hours typing up this email, right. I got all the way down to the end and I'd been through absolutely every point. And I clicked send without proofreading, without anything, because I knew if I went back and through it, mm-hmm. I would soften it and take yeah. it easy on my mom. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it was, I thought I had ended my relationship with my mom. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. And the email that I got back was, oh, you're just like me. I had all those same questions and concerns, but Jesus fixed it all. And then the follow-up email was, but we can't talk about this because it made your dad uncomfortable and he has forbid me to ever speak to you about this again. <laughs> and I replied back with, if I didn't already despise your religion, mm-hmm. the fact that dad can forbid you mm-hmm. to speak to me about anything mm-hmm. ever mm-hmm. would already do it, whether mm-hmm. there's a God or not. Mm-hmm. The notion that a, that uh, a husband can... Uh, force his wife to not talk to their child. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's just, it's just wild. Yes. Yes. So, and so now you just don't largely don't talk about it. 
Well, we didn't for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Then just before, well, around the, we we talk about on occasion, mom would still send me, like I got birthday cards saying we're praying for God to stop you no matter what the cost. Oh, yes. Um, Yes. I got birthday cards. As a matter of fact, there may be one here in in my Bible. It was out in the truck. Um, Yes. Yes. Here we go. This this is always around. <laughs> this is the card. Oh yeah. Um, I think this may be the one we're praying for God to stop you, whatever the cost. Uh, yes, it ends. It starts with Hebrews twelve, and then it's don't miss the blessing. God will not always let you come to Him. He closes doors. I pray for your salvation, so the joy that was in my heart on the days you were born. On the day you were born, will return again. I know God exists and is God. I've had personal attacks by demons after following Christ by faith. Mm. Wow. Mm. I didn't even notice that she spelled attacks wrong. Um, anyway, if the demons are real, so is God. I know you will not experience, you've not experienced attack because they already have you where they want you. I pray God will reveal himself to you so you will know wow. him. I will also pray that your preaching of the devil's lies will be halted no matter what the cost and no matter what the cost is underlined. Wow. Wow. And then love love dad and and mom. (laughs) And this, this is my birthday card. Not just a card. This, this this was my birthday card. Oh my gosh. I think this was probably my 40th birthday card. I got another one on my 50th birthday card and I called them and said, don't ever send me anything again. I read that one in full out on the show. Um, because was, was it done. a similar sentiment? It was worse. Mm. Yeah, it, it was. It was worse. So and, sad um, and upsetting. Then we had one six-hour conversation around the 2016 election that started with talk oh. about Trump, and then oh boy, turned into a lot more. Mm. And since then, um, we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you still have contact with them, but yeah, you I just. Yeah. Every couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. Do you have siblings as well? Yeah. My brother is my favorite person in the world. <gasps> we are uh, inseparable. And, it, you know, the extent to which we agree or disagree on things doesn't really matter. And when I had triple bypass back in December, mm-hmm. uh, he came down, took off from work, stayed here and helped Arden take care of me while I was recovering for a oh, while. Wow. Uh, he is a wonderful person who's raised two great kids hmm. and, uh, yeah. Nice. Well, that's and, and good. Even though, so whether or not he actually still believes in God, I really don't know because he and I don't talk about it and we don't need to. Yeah. But he called me early when I was doing the show and said, I, I really wish you would not talk about mom and dad on the show. Cause I don't think it's fair. They're not there to defend themselves and they didn't ask for this attention. And I was like, I can appreciate that. And so there was a period of time where I didn't talk about them uh, specifically. I would mm-hmm. always be vague, like a family member a right. would tell me this or whatever. Sure. And when I got my card on my 50th oh, birthday, yeah. I mm-hmm. read it to him. And uh, I was like, I'm going to read this on the show. I wanted to let you know. And he's like, yeah, go for it. They deserve it. Wow. Oh, it, it's having the having the support. um of siblings can just be a tremendous um help when our 
when we're having difficulties with our parents. And that's what I found. My my brothers um, became atheists long before I did. I was in it for the long haul, married to a pastor and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, and my parents are still believers. Uh, and so then when I divorced religion, uh, yeah, it was pretty shocking for my parents. They didn't like it. They didn't even want to believe it. But to have my brothers say, boy, we've been waiting. <laughs> we've been waiting for you. Uh, it's It was very helpful. Wow. Yeah, I have, I have some family members who um, are atheists, and I'm the only one who knows because mm, they, yeah. they don't want to ruffle feathers. Right. But they'll they'll let me know you know hey i agree with you i pre- i appreciate what you're doing but there's no way i'm ever going to say anything mm-hmm. and i was like i just thank you for telling me because for a lot of people who find their way out the most difficult times are big family gatherings like christmas for sure where everybody's talking about god and jesus and this other well all right they're giving lip service to it a lot right. but eventually somebody will get serious for a little while and then mm-hmm. you're the one sitting over in the corner I'm completely ostracized from everything that's going on. So uncomfortable. Yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of an ass on occasion (laughs) and my family learned pretty quickly that um, they're free to talk about whatever they want. And while they are free to talk about whatever they want, so am I. Yes. And so if I, we're all in the living room Mm -hmm. and they're trying to tell kids things that, um, are problematic. Mm-hmm. I don't always dig in, but if they cross a line where I think they're doing too much and potentially doing harm, yes, I will correct them mm-hmm. and I will point out and I'll, I'll start asking questions. I don't. I don't need to be like you know, Aunt So and So is lying to you. I can right. just be like, How do you know that's true? Mm-hmm. And everybody stops talking. Oh yeah, every head turns, <laughs> and then they all realize. None of them are equipped to debate me on any of these subjects mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. And it would be a really bad idea to be so humiliated in front of their kids that all of a sudden religious conversations cease. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was ask a couple questions. Mm-hmm. And I love the example that that sets for the children um, who are present. So you're not being rude and attacking and obnoxious. You're asking a reasonable question. How do you yeah, know I'm, I'm that's way true. nicer to my Way nicer to my family than <laughs> I am to a random caller. I have zero patience for people who argue dishonestly. And the thing I think some of the things that people forget is that I'm doing a call-in show. I'm not knocking on people's doors. I'm not meeting right. people out randomly. You know, yeah, people are coming to you. Their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's like, call me, bring your A game and be prepared. You all know that I'm going to hit this hard. And it's not personal. If I thought people were stupid... I wouldn't waste my time. Right. If I thought that they were incapable of changing their mind, I wouldn't waste my time. If I didn't respect them as people, mm-hmm. why would I bother? I, I don't sit here and try to change people's minds about which dog is the best or, you know, which pet they should or shouldn't get. Yeah. Uh, although you should get a snake. Um, <laughs> That's what I hear. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's really easy to say, oh, this person is... Uh, they're too brusque or they use language that I use or they're just a, a different. Right. Yeah. But if I said, come on, bring your a game and you show up with, well, I had this experience that I can't prove to anybody else. And I'm not even sure what it was, but I'm absolutely convinced that there is a God who lives outside of space time and he's in charge of everything and he's going to punish you. And you're absolutely wrong. Oh. And I'm like, <laughs> 
Thank, thanks for sharing. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's an interesting opinion. Do you have anything to back it up? Yes. Oh, my gosh. That's yeah. And I imagine the folks who are calling into you um, to your show are calling with the hope that they can convert you or open your eyes or uh, pr- somehow prove to you that you are wrong and your whole life trajectory has been wrong. Yeah, I think I think a good chunk of them just appreciate that there's a platform where they get to publicly share the gospel because yes, that's more more important to them than actually converting anybody. Because mm-hmm. at least from my background of Southern Baptist, it's not it was never up to me to convert people. My my job was to present the message and yeah. the Holy Spirit would convert. So them. the seed. It, yeah. <laughs> That's that was exactly it. it. Yeah. And so they want credit for sowing the seeds. I went on the atheist show. Oh, I shouldn't, I shouldn't do accents. That's <laughs> there are plenty of people with Southern accents who are brilliant. I don't want to yes. shame any of them. Yes. But they'd be like, Oh, I went on the atheist show and stood my ground. And I did what I'm supposed to do for Jesus without realizing um, what they did was actually embarrassing. I remember mm-hmm. Ray comfort. Oh, I've debated him a couple of times oh. and he ca- called into the show on a, on an occasion and his clip to the show is the atheist experience is one of the most viewed clips in the history of the show. Mm-hmm. And we sat down to do a debate and he was like, uh, I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but he was like, oh, I, I guess I'm kind of a big deal. Like I'm the most popular video your channel's ever put out. And I was like, yes, Ray. Um, but that's not because people agreed with you or liked what you said. It's because it was embarrassingly stupid. Oh no. <laughs> and you looked really ridiculous and people are laughing at you. Oh, no. um, you, you, you're getting views for the same reason fail videos get views. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. And he remains just as uh, entrenched, you know, just from, of course, I don't talk to him personally, but, you know, going by his continued uh, actions in the Christian community, he's just as entrenched as ever he was. But of course, we never know what's going on in someone's uh, mind who might be having uh, doubts. And I wonder if folks who reach out to you on your show, if a lot of them, or at least some of them, aren't having doubts themselves. Um, that's certainly possible. It's, it's, that's one of the things is that people are like, oh, you can't change anybody's mind. And I'm like, there are some people whose minds will never be changed. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to tell the difference between the person whose mind can be changed and the person whose mind can't be right. changed until I've had a conversation with them mm-hmm. and they've changed their mind. Until then, they're still in this ambiguous category until the day they die as to whether That's or not right. they're not going to change their mind. That's right. And so I'm open to you know talking to anybody mm-hmm. within reason. There are some people I don't like bother talking to anymore because they've proven to be dishonest or they're uh, there's a few hateful bigots who mm-hmm. are just really they think they've scored some points if they can attack me for things mm-hmm. that have nothing to do with right. whether or not they can demonstrate their their god beliefs right right can you um can you tell anything that's uh, that you have in your sites or anything that you're working on um Currently, I know you've got the hang-up show. I know you're working on some interesting things with snakes, too. Um, any yeah. t- any tours coming up, anything like that? We we haven't planned any tour yet. We're, we're just now getting more comfortable. I've been to like three conventions this year. Yeah. Uh, and that's looking good. But I couldn't I couldn't possibly book like a magic tour because that 
that would have wiped out my savings. And a lot of people aren't comfortable still going to theaters mm-hmm. and I'm not sure how comfortable I am. And you got to mm-hmm. get volunteers up on stage oh, for yeah. stuff. Um, so I want to be cautious there, but I've also taken, I'm still going to be doing the magic stuff. Still going to be teaching that uh, skepticism and going to conventions. But yeah, Arden and I started uh, breeding ball pythons. I actually have a python named Ray Comfort oh. because- <laughs> His particular, the snake's particular morph uh, that's visible is called the banana morph <laughs> and Ray's the banana man. And uh, I've been meaning to send Ray an email to let him know that uh, I have named a breeding male, Ray Comfort, uh, and he will be producing some dream sickle babies with, uh, with our others. Yeah, I still, I on, on if you go on YouTube, um, the line network is where I do the hang up. I do that on Wednesday nights. Last night I had Daryl Ray on. I saw that. Exciting. I love Daryl. He, he filled in last minute and he's yeah. so awesome. And mm-hmm. I, I wish, I wish it wasn't a, I wish I had just asked him to be on instead of like, Oh, I need somebody last minute. Can Daryl do it? Um, he's great. Yeah, We've been friends for years and I, I love getting him on. I love listening to him talk. And it's, we work pretty well together because in the, you know, if I go off on a philosophical rant for five or 10 minutes, Daryl is patient enough to sit there. And when, when he really wants in on something and when there's something that he finds interesting and valuable to recovering from religion, secular therapy project, things like that, um, he jumps in. So I'm going to be doing, because I'm no longer with the Atheist Community of Austin, mm-hmm. I'm not doing the Atheist Experience on Sundays, mm-hmm. but I'm not necessarily willing to give up the Sunday afternoon time slot that I spent 17 years cultivating. Right. So we're talking about doing an episode of The Hang Up on Sundays from 3 to 4.30 Central. And if that time slot works, then great. And if it doesn't work, then I'll do the 4.30 to 6 time slot and people can just make a choice of whether they want to watch, you know, my show live or the Atheist Experience live and watch yeah. the other one later, however they want to do it. Hmm. Um, we're also creating a couple other shows because um, the call-in format, it's it's become kind of formulaic where mm-hmm. it's like things look the same. Right. And the same is true for online debates. And so Jimmy Snow and I had an idea for a debate show that is going to have a slightly different format so that it's somewhere, it's somewhat of a cross between what would be a regular call-in show and what would be a full-on debate where it's sort of a short form, 30 minute debate where it's not two sides presenting, competing Mm -hmm. opening statements, but one person is, I'm going to demonstrate this. And then the other person is the the roadblock they've got to get through. I think we talked about it in terms of end boss and it won't always be me. It's like, Mm -hmm. Oh, today is the end boss of atheism and it's, you know, forest or today's the end boss for evolution and it's forest or psychology or Shannon or whatever. Yeah. So you get like a 30 minute short form debate um, that we hope uh, keeps things interesting and gets it. So it's fair to people because my favorite things about the debates are the back and forth mm-hmm. after the opening statements are done. Mm-hmm. And then the questions that come from the audience, because they're the ones who are going to ask all the stuff that we forgot. Yes. Yes. And the, they're going to ask the things they're most interested in, which is why I'd rather never, well, I don't really write talks, but I do do outlines uh, for talks. I'd rather no, never do another outline for another talk and another opening statement, write down another opening statement for a debate. If I could just sit there and say, Hey, tell me what you believe in why give them as much time as, as we can reasonably do for that. 
and then have an actual conversation about why we mm-hmm. disagree. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's far more value. I don't do debates. Debates aren't WWE events. I don't need intro music, although right. we did in one case as a joke. Uh, and it's not a, I want, matter of fact, I was streaming on Twitch today. Um, in a couple of weeks, I'm, I'm going up to Dallas to do a couple of debates. Um, one of them is going to be a debate on Islam. Oh. That's going to be the main event uh, for Saturday night for wow. this day-long convention. Mm-hmm. But in the afternoon, they asked me to sit down with Destiny, who's a Twitch streamer uh, who got popular doing debates. I'm not familiar with him. I don't really know his content. Because while we agree on a bunch of things, when it comes to like abortion, I primarily go with the bodily autonomy argument. Right. And Destiny does not like the bodily autonomy argument. I have no idea why. I haven't oh. looked into this yet. Okay. But we're going to sit down for 30 minutes to an hour to just mm. talk about why he doesn't like the bodily autonomy argument and why I think it's the only one that matters. Wow. So, that sounds very interesting. Should be fun. Yeah. I, I, have, I have some concerns about it because it's another instance of two dudes sitting around talking right. about abortion. Yes. But this is more, this isn't about rights or who we're both in agreement, mm-hmm. I think, uh, on being pro-choice. So this is more about a subtle way to argue for it. <laughs> and Arden, Arden and I were talking the other day. That's my partner. Um, we were talking about John Oliver just did a special on trans rights. I right? love John Oliver. I, I'm a huge John Oliver fan. Yes. And so he covered things that Arden and, and Katie and other uh, trans activists have been covering for years. And yet it blows up when John Oliver does it. Yes. And we were lamenting the fact that... Um, sometimes this is why allyship is so important Mm. because if you are any marginalized minority, sometimes nobody's even going to pay any attention until there's a cis het white guy or somebody else with, you know, a mountain of privilege Mm -hmm. to be able to speak up and, and, and kind of point the microphone at you Mm -hmm. and, you know, myself and a number of other people that I work with, um, we're serious about, if you're going to, if you're going to put me in this position where all kinds of people are going to listen to me, yes. pay attention to what I say, uh, I'm going to do what I can to point that microphone at other people, which is mm-hmm. why when you reached out, it's like, mm-hmm. oh, hey, here's a new podcast. Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do pretty much anything to, mm-hmm. to keep the conversation going and get more and more people involved. Thank we, you we've so got much. hit normalcy and I'm not, yeah. and I don't for a second think that I should be the only or top dog representative of atheism. I just think I'm always right and I'm the best me. <laughs> oh, this has been such a pleasure uh, hearing more about your story and uh, where you're at now and things that you're looking forward to. Thank you for Thank joining you. me. I hope our paths cross again soon. Take I, I care so of yourself. <laughs> best, best of luck with this podcast. I, I, I hope as you get more people who perhaps experience more direct trauma than I did, that it resonates with people and that I become the oddball where maybe more and more people are like, yeah, I didn't have to go through as much. I'm, I'm on the mat side and I feel mm-hmm. fortunate. So let me help the people who had yes. to go through more. Oh, wonderful. Well, thanks again for joining me, Matt Dillahunty. And I'll have all sorts of things in the show notes for people to check out with you. Take care. Thank Bye you so everyone. Much.